I want to share uh, a few thoughts with us today about, well, about what church is all about. What is church? And the reason for talking about this today, and in fact, over the next few weeks, we'll follow this thread for at least the next two or three weeks, is because we're coming closer and closer to the day, hallelujah, when we will actually be able to meet together. Believe it or not, church, that, that is something churches do. And it's been difficult for the last 12 months, but we are edging closer to the day when we can gather. Um, whether that's in on the date that we hope for, we've planned for our first physical service together on the 27th, but we will, of course, have to see what the government say uh, tomorrow. So when we get that information tomorrow, by the way, I will um, send out some messages to us all and we can then decide uh, what we want to do, depending on what that government advice is. So we, we hope to be able to meet on 27th, uh, but if we can't, uh, then it'll just be postponed by a little while, I'm sure. We will soon be meeting together. And I thought what would be really useful for me, let alone for all of us, and I hope for the rest of us, is to, uh, is to rethink a little bit, why do we gather? Why do we get together? What are we really all about as a church? Because I think, although this has been a challenging time, it's also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to rethink the things that we do and why we do them. As we go back into meeting physically together, what I suggest is we don't just go back to repeat what we've always done necessarily, but do a, a bit of a reboot. Uh, a little bit of a reboot is I think the point. And so I asked Steve to read that scripture. Thanks Steve, by the way, for doing that. Uh, I asked Steve to read that scripture from Acts 2 because it's often the, the vision that we, have in our hearts as to what church is all about and i'm not going to study through that passage today we're going to look at some other bits and pieces but this is in so many ways our our vision and that church in acts 2 after 3,000 are baptized into christ and they've clearly repented they received the forgiveness of their sins they received the gift of the holy spirit and then what's their instinct it doesn't look like there's any instruction exactly to do this but there is an instinct and the instinct is to gather the instinct is to gather. They gather together. And what do they gather for? They gather for the apostles' teaching in verse 42, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And those are some functions they do together. But then we see the, the spirit at work. Uh, everyone's filled with all many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. That's the spirit at work. They're all together. They have everything in common. They're helping each other out. They sell property, possessions, give to those who have need. They're very connected to the needs. They know what each other need. They meet together every day in the temple courts. They, uh, they love hanging out together and presumably worshipping is what's going on, we think, there. They break bread in their homes, ate together with a lovely phrase, glad and sincere hearts. Lovely phrase. And they praise God and they are enjoying the favour of the people because the people are seeing something attractive, something interesting. And then it says God does what only God can do which is he added to their number daily, those who are being saved. So it's a wonderful thing. Now, sometimes this can be taken in a problematic way. And by that, I mean, sometimes this can be seen as, as a blueprint. Like we need to figure out how to do all this. And then if we do all the right things, uh, people will be added. Uh, like, a, like they'll squeeze out the end of the toothpaste tube pop you know then that that'll happen but reducing this to a formula or even a blueprint i think is problematic because that's the culture of the time and some of these things are permanent some of them are about principles and some of them are about the right spirit 
but so what we're trying to do i think as a church what we've always been trying to do is not is not recreate exactly acts 2 42 to 47 but to understand the spirit and the motivation and the, and the main the, the actual real point here and then uh, grasp that use this as our our vision and then figure out what this means for us locally so that so what we're going to do over the next two or three or four weeks depending on how long it is before we can physically meet together we're going to look at uh, uh, really what the church is about foundationally that's today we'll look at what sunday gatherings are all about looking at the new testament we'll look at our gatherings and life outside of our our times of sunday worship and we'll talk about the essence of all that we do and why we do it and i hope in that way that we'll find some ways to uh to be strengthened and to rethink and hopefully to be even more useful to each other and god as you think about the last 12 months what is it that's stronger in us uh, as, as a congregation than maybe a year ago what is it that's been maintained it's still good and healthy and what might we have lost so let me ask you for some sharing on this anybody wants to unmute themselves or put something in the chat box leon sarah flexibility we've learned how to be more flexible i'd say that's true yes okay somebody's put in here richard being baptized into christ and jane being baptized in christ absolutely those are tremendously positive things fantastic what else what else new members new members absolutely my dad says new members including richard and jane and others yes desmond i, I think our desire to see each other face to face is stronger that's true i think uh, uh some of we feel that don't we 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 look forward to seeing each other more than we might have done uh somebody saying the variety and how to be together right so what does it actually mean to communicate connect to be together good um okay the olivier's plus others is iphone okay good stuff uh the ability to meet with church family feeling warmly welcomed and involved thank you girl from lissy thank you very much we love having you love having you uh io and uh taiwo praying for the vulnerable and the weak and encouraging each other i do think that's right there's been more of an emphasis on noticing uh, who's vulnerable needy and praying and helping each other uh richard we see the value of relationship and emotional connection yes when you like when you miss it you know you you value it more so it's stronger in you yes good point stefan Liesel making the best use of technology to be a blessing and sustain our relationships yeah the best we can we've been using it i, I think there's a lot of truth uh, in in all of what was being said there let me uh, let me move on to the second question i think um but i do think we've we've seen 12 new friends added including those baptized and restored like simon and then and, and uh, the akin and pat and the family group been wonderful to have you and esther and uh, and, and desmond and ethan joining us from hong kong so we've seen 12 new people as well as garth and lissy joining us pretty much every sunday and others um we've seen god work when we didn't see how he could work that 12 months ago it's very difficult to see how is this going to work and yet god has helped us to see how it can work and we've understood better how god can use tech in ways we didn't expect so i think that's that's really good so what about maintenance maintenance what's been maintained second question teaching uh the olivier collective i think that is teaching midweek wednesday night sunday okay teaching's been maintained well good 
What else? What would you say? Garth and Leslie meeting together. Yes, we've maintained it in a different form, but maintained. Being fed by the word, taking communion together. We've managed to do that. Yes. We've still been connected, Simone. That's right. We have managed to stay connected. Communication's been decent. Yeah, you know, using the technology to stay connected with uh, what's going on. Fellowship before and after service, Stefan. That's true. We've managed to have chats here and there around the actual body of the meeting, say. Uh, it's at dawn, I think. Our connection with God is a fellowship doing spiritual things together. Yeah, we've met, met talked, uh, prayed together, sang together, maintaining our faith to God. We're, we've all, I mean, this, it may not seem a big thing, but I think it is a big thing. We've lost no one. We've lost none of our number here, right? We've kept each other together with God. Uh, we've been maintaining our faith personally, but also collectively. I think that's something to be celebrated. Uh, good, thank you. Uh, okay, so that's maintenance. And I'd say, for me, primarily, I think the teaching and being faithful and worshipping together, we've maintained well. Uh, even when I can't make Wednesday, I can still listen to it, take part in it, Dawn. Yeah, meeting together wherever we are. Yeah, Garth. Okay, so third question. What have we lost? What have we lost, would you say? What, where might we have become a little weaker over the last 12 months? Uh, hugs, says Stefan and Lisa. Oh, wouldn't it be great just to be able to get up and hug each other right now? Oh, I miss that. Hugs, we've missed that. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, Dawn, social skills. Or it might just be me. I don't, I don't, no comment, Dawn. I, I couldn't possibly say. Uh, okay, Barry and uh, Kate, the closeness that physical closeness facilitates. Yeah, that sense, not just the physical closeness, but the sense of closeness that that enables. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Raphael, it sucks that there's only one, only church for adults. Raph, I can only apologize. Sorry, Raph. Uh, we're going to put that right soon. Trust me. Um, children's ministry kids kingdom missing playing with the kids yeah i don't know who misses it more the kids playing with each other or um some of us playing with the kids on a sunday i'm not quite sure but we have all missed that sarah's cakes thank you yes leon you are right we've missed sarah's cakes birthday cakes singing birthdays together you know happy birthday uh the kids are missed out dawn you're right Stephen and are reaching out to the poor and needy collectively doing a practical project together. Yeah, we missed that. The Palmers, a bit of joy, personal contact and rapport, including Sarah's cake. Sarah, you're getting a lot of love there. Um, they adorn struggle, the kids have struggled to get relationships. The, the, the age they're at is a tricky age to build new friendships and, uh, and maintain them online. I can understand that. Bronwyn, um, we miss seeing if someone's not just doing well. Yeah, seeing the whites of someone's eyes and body language and being able to reach out and just just to, okay should we have a conversation you know can, anything i can do to help yeah we miss noticing that and helping each other um again a, a sense of communal worship reverence in our services that's been more difficult yeah uh bill playing your guitar with us yeah we missed you man uh the parlors teas and coffees meals together park service meeting outside yes simon and patricia you're doing the teas and coffees thank you we're looking forward to that hopefully you can do that again soon uh, congregational singing, just being in the same room together, singing together, Dawn says as well. My goodness, it's a long list, isn't it? Wow. We've missed a lot. I don't think there's any, any, any getting away from that. It wouldn't be wrong to mourn what we've missed. Uh, the allotment service, Stephen and Liesl, being out there. 
amongst nature and amongst the produce. So many things we've missed. I'm going to move on because we could be here quite a long time mourning over this. But for me, the key things, uh, depth of relationships, I think is something that's not as strong probably as it was a year ago. Uh, doing life together, we've not managed to do. Um, the sort of one another Christianity that you've many of you have alluded to. Uh, and the physical expressions of love. Um, there's something about the physicality that really does make a difference. And so we have lost some things. So some things I believe are, are stronger. Some things have been maintained. Some things have been lost or a little weaker. And I hope that today and in this series, I can help us to celebrate what is stronger, to continue, hopefully to, to find the motivation to continue what has been maintained and to strengthen what we've lost over the next little while. So let's talk about the church a bit today and a few uh, short points. What have I got? Four short points, all about who. So it's all about who. Not about what today that much. We'll come to that. But today it's about who. So firstly, who does the church belong to? Who does the church belong to? So let's go to Ephesians chapter one. We'll have um, we'll be in Ephesians one quite a bit today, although I'll mention some other passages. Who does the church belong to? And in fact, what is the church? Well, the word church is the Greek word ecclesia. And the word ecclesia is the word that we use for translated to church but actually the word ecclesia means assembly or gathering is what it means and it's a word translated it comes actually from a hebrew well it's it's a greek version of a hebrew word that the, when the hebrews met together the israelites they gathered they had an assembly in a sense that in the old testament they had church you could say an assembly and a gathering and so that's the same idea here in the new testament uh, it's ecclesia uh, so when we have a what we call a church service, we're having an assembly and a lot of churches of Christ, actually, uh, not only churches of Christ, but a lot of churches of Christ don't talk about church services. They talk about assemblies or gatherings. And I think it's to me, I like that. I prefer the word gathering than meeting or gathering to even church service, because it actually expresses more what's happening. We're coming together. We're not fulfilling a function. We're doing something together. We're gathering. We're assembling. Uh, the Avengers Assemble, I suppose, was an Avengers church service. Perhaps I'm not quite sure about that. So it's a gathering. I mean, what is what is it? And who who does it? This gathering belong to? And Ephesians chapter one and verse ten. And uh, Paul Paul writes one of his characteristically very long sentences here, starting in well, I don't know, probably verse three. But anyway, he's talking about the uh, the church and about Jesus. And he talks about what his purpose is in chapter one. We'll actually pick it up in verse in seven, in verse seven. He's talking about Jesus. <clears throat> in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So what is God doing in, in bringing people together? When he brings people together, when he brings his people together, he's doing it to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under christ so what the church belongs to god it's god's idea it's god's initiative 
when he gathers his people, Awada, when we gather, we're being gathered by him, not by one another. It's God that gathers us. It's God that assembles us. You could say God churches us. It's God who churches us. And he does it so that he can bring unity to all things. So Eden, the curse of Eden can be reversed. And the, the gathering of his people brings back together that which has been disunified. What has been broken and disunified is unified under Christ by God by bringing them together. He brings races together. He brings cultures together. He brings different social backgrounds together. He brings men and women together. He brings uh, Jew and Gentile together. He brings people from different kinds of, if you like, darkness and sin backgrounds together. He unifies. God's plan in, in his assembly is to unify that which has been divided. Only God can do that. And that is something we are we are very lucky to be able to celebrate. So part of the reason we gather is because God has gathered us, not just because we decide to go to a church service. It's a very different perspective. In, in a sense, the word church is more a verb than an event. A gathering, a being gathered, to gather, to be unified, to unify and to display God's grace, as he talks about here, God's wisdom, as he talks about here, to the world. So the first thing it's important to bear in mind about what church is, is that it is a gathering initiated, uh, uh, created by God for the purpose of bringing unity to all things, all things. So it's God's idea, God's initiative. Secondly, the focus. What's the focus of what church is, what the gathering is, the assembling? Ephesians 1 again, later on in the chapter, uh, in verse uh, 22, it says, chapter 1, 22. Again, a wonderful, if you really want to understand what the church is all about, by the way, do a study of Ephesians. It will really rock your world and inspire you. Anyway, we're picking out a few things today. In chapter 1, verse 22, God placed all things under his feet. So it's talking about Jesus here. Placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Now there's a phrase, Jesus being head over everything in this world for the church, for the assembly, for the gathering, for us, which is his body. The church, the gathering, the ecclesia is Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, that filling up, that again, that unifying force or that unifying principle, that unifying effect of those who follow Jesus, bringing all things together. Christ's body. So we learn something here. The focus of the assembly, of us being together, is not one another. And the focus of being together is not even the world with all of its needs, though that's important. The focus of the gathering is Jesus. It's Jesus, pure and simple. God's idea, Jesus is the focus. It's his body, um, various Christian denominations and groups over the centuries have tended, and I say this cautiously and uh, in a very um, uh, general sense, have tended to emphasize some aspects of God and God's gathering more than others. So the Protestant tradition tends to emphasize the Bible, and of course the Bible is wonderful, but tends to emphasize the Bible sometimes more than even Jesus. The Catholic tradition tends to emphasize sometimes Mary 
or tradition, sometimes more than Jesus. The charismatic tradition has been known to emphasize the spirit more than Jesus. Now, our point here is not to be particularly critical of any group because every group has its weaknesses, which tend to be an overemphasis in some areas and others, and we have plenty of our own. But my point is more to say, since there is a tendency to emphasize something that isn't Jesus, it's really important for you and me to remember and do deliberate things to help us to remember that the focus of our gatherings is always Jesus first. And then other things flow from that. But if we lose that focus on Jesus, if we lose that awareness of his presence, of his significance, of why we as followers of Jesus gather for his sake and to glorify and honor him so that he can do his work in us to do his work, his work in the world, if we lose that, we lose what is the fundamental essence of gathering, assembly, church, ecclesia, services, meetings. This is, this is the focus. And the church is God's, but it's also, in a sense, Jesus's idea too. Jesus doesn't talk a lot about the church um, because, of course, when he was around in the Gospels, um, there was no church in the way that we would understand it now. In a sense, his church hadn't yet been founded. But he, he did anticipate it uh, appearing, of course. And the way that he was with his disciples shows us a lot about how church is meant to be. So I'd also suggest if you want to refresh yourself into how church is meant to be, you might want to do a little study in one of the Gospels and read one of the Gospels and ask yourself, how did Jesus interact with his church, his followers? How did, what, what do we learn about the way that he was with them that might help us to learn what it means that he's with us now? We are his disciples. We are his body in, in very similar way to the way that Andrew or John or others were with him. So that's just a suggestion if you want to do a helpful Bible study. I won't go into it now, but in Matthew 16, the famous passage where Paul talks about Peter on this rock, I will build my church. That tends to be a focus of doctrine, that verse. But I think the purpose of that verse is to say is when he says that I will build my church and Hades will never overcome it. Uh, it. In other words, it will last forever. That's basically what Jesus is saying. So what Jesus, the way that Jesus views his ecclesia is he views it as something that is going to last forever at least till he comes back it's something that endures that's the nature of it and in matthew 18 there's the famous passage about uh, how to deal with one another when we sin against each other and uh, that's just jesus emphasizing and he says you know that if if someone doesn't repent tell it to the church tell it to the ecclesia tell it to the gathering that's him saying i prioritize the health of my gathering the health of my body so he prioritizes health and he says it will endure. Wonderful things uh, for us to reflect on. So who does it belong to? It belongs to God. Who is its focus? Jesus Christ. Thirdly, who is its power? Who is its strength? Not what is its power, who? I think you know the answer, right? It's the Holy Spirit, of course. He is the power of the church. Back to Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite parts of this uh, chapter, verses 13 and 14. Uh, he says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance 
until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Think about the significance of the Holy Spirit here. And by the way, he is writing to, that would apply to an individual, but the word, when you, we see this in uh, Ephesians 1, it's you plural, because he's writing to the church in Ephesus. So it's not only talking about you individually are guaranteed because of the Holy Spirit, or you individually have this deposit of the Holy Spirit, He's saying you as a church. It is the Holy Spirit that guarantees, what's the word here? Guarantees the, uh, it's a seal, when you're the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So our guaranteed inheritance comes because of the Spirit and our redemption is guaranteed because of the Spirit. The Spirit is the power of the church. And we don't have time today to go into it, but you know the passages and you can look them up and I'll reference them. What did Jesus tell the apostles to do when he was about to leave? What did he say? He didn't say go and start a church service. He said, wait. In Acts chapter one, he says, wait until the spirit appears. Wait until he comes. And what do they do? They pray until the spirit comes. And Acts chapter two, what happens? The spirit comes in a powerful way, a tangible way, a visible way, and unifies and gathers. And thousands of people come to hear Peter preach, even though some of them think he's drunk, right? And he preaches that first, if you like, Christian sermon and 3,000 people are added. They are gathered, and probably more than 3,000 actually, but at least 3,000 on that day. And then as we read earlier, as Steve read earlier, the Lord continues to add to the number. How does that happen? Because the Spirit empowers the church. It is the Spirit that gives us, gives us today still the power. And I would, I would like to suggest something for us to um, think about and meditate on. Because over the last few years, I've reflected often on leadership and church leadership, and this doesn't only apply to me, this applies to all of us here, that how do we as a congregation, how do we think about our planning? How do we think about strategy? How do we think about vision? And there's lots of good things been said and, and done and, and spoken about and written about that. But I think at the moment, and I just want to share this with you for your own reaction at some point, is I think being a being a, an assembly called out by God, I, I think our responsibility in terms of vision, direction, plan, strategy, I think our primary responsibility is to notice what the spirit is doing. To notice what the spirit is doing. Be alert to the movement of the spirit. What is he doing? Rather than what do we think he wants us to do, Firstly, what is he actually doing? Where has he placed people? What gifts has he given to the church? Where do we see him moving? Where is he sh shifting things? Where is he giving people a spirit of initiative and, and, and motivation? What is the spirit doing? And then I think our responsibility is to cooperate with him, to notice what the spirit is doing and cooperate with what he's doing. And the reason I've come to that as a summary of how I think about church strategy, is it seems to me that's what they did in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, and I preached on this last year, if you may remember, and we won't revise it now, but as you go through the book of Acts, the book of Acts does not have much logic in it, humanly speaking, the way that the church developed, I mean. The book of Acts doesn't have a great deal of, of predictability in it. I mean, Jesus did say you'll preach in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, but he didn't tell them how or when or, or the strategy. 
They just said, that's what's gonna happen. And the spirit led them into what enabled that. And I think that's our responsibility collectively to pray. So this thing about that is, here's the challenging part, right? <laughs> the challenging part about that is we need to be spiritual people. Because <laughs> if we're not spiritual people, we aren't going to notice what the spirit is doing, or we're going to mistake what he's doing for something else. And I don't have a formula for that. I don't know exactly even how to describe that, except that we've got to be spiritual people. It's why we pray. It's why we read God's word for insight. It's why we talk to each other and, and discuss what the spirit is doing. It's why we, it's why we do all these things really is to say, God, help me notice what you're doing. And I think about Watford and our friends here. You know, I, if you were strategizing, I don't think we'd have done it the way we've done it. Uh, the people, uh, you know, the Palmers in Aylesbury, the uh, uh, the Watkins in uh, in Chesham, and all the different places we are. I don't think we'd have planned it that way exactly. But God's allowed it, and I think God is in it. And the way that Jane became a Christian, the way that Richard became a Christian the timing of Simon's restoration last year, the bringing of Desmond and Esther to us last year. We wouldn't have planned that. There's so many things. I mean, we could write a very long list, say the last four or five years, of the ways that God did things that we now delight in, but we would never have expected and planned for. And in fact, we couldn't have made happen. Couldn't have made it happen, but God did it. And God brought Stefan and Liesel to us not so long ago. What a blessing. I, I mean, you know, when I... And I think I feel quite emotional thinking about this because I just feel so grateful that God has brought us together and made us who we are. I feel this is the best place in the world for me to be personally. I I've considered myself to be the luckiest man alive to be part of this. And, and it, I, you know, I don't think it, the credit goes to all of us in one sense and none of us in one sense, because it's the spirit, the credit goes to God. We, if we're going to, if we're going to um, go forward out of this with, with, uh, with God working through us as we move back into meeting together and doing what we're going to do in a little while, uh, we've got to be spiritually minded people. That's my appeal to myself, to all of us. Let's prioritize our, our spirituality. And that's a whole other lesson maybe, but uh, have a look in First Peter 2. Have a look at, in the rest of Ephesians. They'll give you a lot of guidance into how we can be connected to the spirit, noticing the spirit, being spiritually minded people such that then we cooperate with what he is doing so we talked about who the church who the ecclesia belongs to it's god we talked about the focus of the ecclesia it is jesus himself we talked about the power what's where's the power it's in the spirit finally let's talk about who we are who are we who are you me my friends well let's uh let's dip outside of ephesians for a moment and go to first peter chapter two for this in first peter chapter two and we'll read from uh, from verse 9, First Peter 2. Who are the gathered? Who are the assembled? Who are the ecclesiad, the church? First Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
Well, I think that tells us pretty much all we need to do, to know and to be reminded of as to who we are. We are these people. We are a chosen, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation, God's special possession, the people of God, receiving mercy so that we can tell others of the mercy of God. That's who we are. We are an assembled nation, an assembled people, an assembled family. Galatians 6 verse 10 talks about the family of believers, and we're familiar with this image, the fellowship of believers being a family. We're a family. We are a family. I mean, we're 30 plus people here, plus children. It's a big family, you could say, but we're a family. And that's why we need, we need deep relationships. And that's, that's what makes it all meaningful. And with that, we're in, then able to make Jesus visible. Being, uh, being these people, we make the kingdom tangible to people around us that have not encountered the kingdom, not encountered Jesus. So let me wrap this up. But in, in wrapping this up, let me ask you what unifies all this. When you think about this, the church is God's idea. We are churched by God. We're unified to, to show him to the world. The focus is Jesus, always Jesus. The power is the spirit. Let's, how can we be spiritually minded people cooperating with the spirit? And we are God's people, his family. What this really means this is so obvious, I know, but it's worth stating. It all comes back to love in the end. We're only churched by God because he loves us. We're only God's body, Christ's body because he died for us. We're only empowered by the spirit because he has, by his grace, the spirit has come to live in us. We're only God's family because of his mercy and grace to us. It's all about love. And Jesus reminded his followers time and again that it all comes back to love in john 13 love one another as i have loved you by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another john 13 34 35 in john 17 he prayed for unity amongst his disciples his followers so that the world would know that jesus had been sent from the father that unity is a relational unity a love unity in matthew 28 we are commanded to go into all the world and make disciples which, amen, we, we, we will do, we do do, and we will do. But it comes from a place of honoring Jesus because of his love for us. So I'm going to finish in First Peter 1 here. And uh, verse, let me pick it up in verse 21, where Peter is writing about suffering. And we've been through a good deal of suffering. And I dare say some more is on his way for us, who knows. But the ability to deal with that suffering and the ability to lift our spirits to remain focused on jesus is because of what he did for us in his suffering to this you were called talking about suffering because christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered, he made no threats. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's why we take bread and wine. 
we take bread and wine to remember the cross, to remember Jesus, to remember why we do all the things we do. And we'll talk more about next time and maybe the time after. We'll talk about some of the practical things we do at church, like worship and prayer when we gather, uh, communion, uh, teaching and preaching. We'll talk more about that, more about what those gatherings are for. But before I wanted, before we got into the practical side of things so much, I, I really thought it was important that we go back to the basics of what underpins all we do and why we do it. It's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about being a family. It's about love. And it's about what Jesus has done for us. So, Barry, could I ask you to uh, go ahead and pray for us? And then...